Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for another one mic session. Um, and this one's really cool because I wanted to actually bring my first guest onto a one mic session. Uh, past guest of the podcast recently, Doug Newman. Uh, you know, so we didn't get into this on the episode with Doug. I didn't want to jinx it, but Doug was actually in the process of going in for a, a to be a kidney donor, um, for lack of a better phrase. I think that's what, what you call it. Yep. Um, so we'll talk through that. And it's one thing for me that, you know, I actually received a transplant. A lot of people don't know that. Um, it wasn't an organ, but I actually had a corneal transplant about 15, 16 years ago now. Um, so it's something that's near and dear to my heart of like actually being able to get something like that to, so I can better my life. Um, so I'm always appreciative of folks that actually go above and beyond to do that. Now, giving a kidney is a little bit bigger um, and doing it while you're, you're alive. That's a whole other animal. So I wanted to talk to Doug about just that process, what he went through, uh, maybe some things to help other folks out if you thought about that or wanted to get tested to see if you can help people. And just go through that because I'm, I'm a curious guy. Um, so, so I'm kind of just curious to understand the whole process. So, Doug, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be back. Yeah, man. So like I said, I didn't want to jinx it because you were about a week away from actually going in. Now you're on the other side of it. Yep. So let's take a step back. Let's talk about this a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about how this transpired. How did, how did you start to get notified that, hey, you might be able to help someone? Sure, Talk through that yeah. process. So um, I donated to a, a friend. Um, it's actually the spouse of a guy that my wife grew up across the street from. And so we've we've known them. I've known them since probably early 2000s um, and uh, lived not too far from them when I lived in Boston and then when I lived in Los Angeles as well. So um, is a couple that I, I knew but had not really been in close contact with for years. Hadn't actually seen them since their wedding, uh, which was in 2010. Last fall, um, uh, the woman who um, needed the transplant, she uh, officially got on the transplant list. And when that happened, they put a note out on social media, which is effectively like carries on the list, uh, but it takes 10 years to get a kidney off of the list. So we've been advised that we should try to find a living donor who would give a kidney to Carrie. And now help, help me out this because... So she's on the list. What does yes. it take to get on the list? Uh, you know, at some point, your kidney function is so low that the doctors bless you to be put on the list. And I think it's somewhere around 20%. If you your overall kidney function is uh, diminished down to 20% of a, a normal person's would be, then it's time for you to uh, to get either a transplant or to go on to dialysis. Okay. Um, now, here's my curiosity because... And, and again, this sounds so dumb, I guess, because I was not good in school. But So I didn't realize until you told me about a month ago or two months ago that you have two, we have two kidneys. Yes, I didn't yeah. know that. I Everyone had... has a spare kidney. Okay. Almost everybody. I've, I actually know two people that were born with only one. Okay. But I think that's extremely rare. Most everybody has an extra kidney, and you only need one kidney to live. So when you say 20% of a function, does that mean... One, both kidneys combined, there was twenty percent, or one kidney didn't work. Do you do you know that? No, I think I think it's both kidneys combined provide twenty percent of the function of two normal kidneys. Okay. Okay. So, um, and it's it's at the point that uh, you know, Carrie described it to me as like she just feels like her entire life she's just walking through water. There's just always this sort of impedance. Everything you try to do, and you're just a little bit groggy. 
Um, and uh, so, you know, the doctors had told her her function was low enough that she was going to have to go on dialysis soon, and they needed to put her on the on the transplant list. And 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 again, just because I'm curious about this, what I'm asking, like, what was her um, her prognosis for, like, if she didn't get a kidney? What was would, would would she potentially die in the next few years? Like, what, how dire was I, it? I don't think it would be the next few years, but she would have had to go on dialysis. Okay. And uh, dialysis apparently does shorten people's lifetimes meaningfully. So, okay. I mean, I think it would not have been unreasonable to say that she might not have lived another decade. Okay. Um, but and she's not old by any stretch. She's not. She's she's not even forty. Okay. So, okay. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. That might be an overstatement. Um, I don't want to make this too sensational. I hope Carrie might actually listen to this podcast sometime. But I, I think um, it's, I mean, fair, but either way, right, you don't know. There's not yeah. like, it's not like a, an exact science, yeah. right? It could be one or two years, could be 15 years. I'm sure there's people on either side of the spectrum. And so. yeah, and I think some people live really long lives on dialysis. It's just not a good quality of life. Right. Uh, you have to be plugged into a machine for hours, I think multiple times a week. Yeah. Um, and in the spaces in between, you're, uh, you still have kidney disease. So you still have, you know, the, that sensation of poison building up in your blood that your kidneys can't extract yeah. and, um, and living with bad body chemistry effectively. So you got notified, you, there was a note, Hey, you know, yeah. looking on a kidney transplant or looking on the list and, and what have you. So when did you start thinking like, Hey, maybe maybe I could be a donor. I'm not yeah. sure. Like, what, when did that come? I mean, as mind? soon as I saw the post, I was like, "Sure, I'll sign up." What are the chances? You know, I, I surely, like, you know, I they they probably get hundreds of people to sign up, and and hopefully, they're able to find a donor in that. Um, so I I didn't immediately jump on it, but within a couple of weeks, I went to the website that they'd set up, and that navigated you over to a form on the, uh, they live in Los Angeles. This is all done through UCLA. Um, and the UCLA website has a place where you can go and sign up to be evaluated to donate a kidney to somebody. And so I, I went and filled out the form. So what, give me some of the qualifications. Like what made, what made you like at least get the sh- on the short list? Um, you- it's primarily blood type. And this is okay. something that I, I didn't know back then, but, um, it turns out that, that, they're pretty good with uh, immunosuppressants to be able to um, make a kidney transplant stick. Um, but the most important thing is that the blood type of the donor is compatible with the blood type of the recipient. And um, I happen to be a O positive blood type, and I think it means I can give to I can give blood to anybody. Um, I can't receive from anybody, but. Um, uh, because my my blood type is universal donor, then I could really give a kidney, presumably, to anybody, assuming that there aren't some other um, uh, like antibody clashes between my blood and the recipient's blood. Okay, so they do. I'm assuming they do a lot of testing with your blood to see if they. It, yeah, they actually they they send uh, at some point in the process they send a kid out and it has about a dozen test tubes in it, and you have to take it to a place that will draw your blood um, and then ship it back to Los Angeles. And they, they use that. It's called a cross-match kit. Okay. And they actually mix your blood and the recipient's blood, and they watch what happens to see whether or not, I guess, whether it goes boom, whether they can see, you know, 
the the antibodies and the bloods are fighting with each other or anything like that. Okay, so so help me out then with the timeline. So you obviously put the you know you do through the blood, do the testing. When you get notified, like, hey Doug, you're a match. Yeah. Uh, so I fill out the form probably in early December. I think I finally got the blood match, the blood, the cross match blood work done in the middle of January. And we're talking about January 2019. This yeah. is this year, right? Yeah. yeah uh-huh. A few months ago. Um, and then uh, it was, it took about two weeks for them to get back to me. Um, and initially they got back and said, Hey, you're a match, but we have a better match. So uh, we're actually going to go pursue the better match and put you, park you on the side. Um, and honestly, I was kind of relieved. It was like, great, Carrie gets a kidney from somebody and I don't have to go through donation and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, about four weeks later, they called up and told me that the better match hadn't worked out and asked if I would be willing to... Hadn't worked out, I mean they backed out? or Well, they, just, they, they never the tell fit? you why. Okay. Um, they always tell you... I think they always make it seem like it was a medical, some sort of incompatibility. or Sure. That, and it might have been. We'll give they, them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I know. Definitely, totally. Um, but I think if I had backed out, they would have told Carrie, yeah, Doug, there's some medical issue. Doug can't donate. Uh, okay. Just to save my face. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I let's assume that the, in the additional testing that they do once they decide that you are their uh, preferred donor, yeah. uh, that they must have discovered something. Um and decided that that person wasn't healthy enough to give. Okay. So you get chosen, obviously. Mm-hmm. You are the, yeah. the number one selection. Right? Uh, you're the, you're number the first... two, yeah, I guess. I... Well, that's all right. Yeah. You're, the, you're, the, you're the, the one of the top draft picks. That's right. And uh, <laughs> so how does that process work? So obviously you have to make the decision of like, hey, am I doing this or not? Well, the, what was that conversation like? The very like? next thing is to go in for a lot more in-depth testing. Okay, okay. So I had to fly out to Los Angeles in early April uh, spend a few days at the hospital there and do all, all kinds of you know x-rays ct scan blood work urinalysis uh i had a like psych consult where they asked me all kinds of stuff about my history um go to a class just about donating so they can educate you on it and um meet with the surgeons and the nephrologist um to to talk through the process hmm. um, and then after i spent you know two days at the hospital doing that then they have a follow-up committee meeting a few days later where they discuss my candidacy and decide whether or not I'm healthy enough to donate. Okay. Um, and then they called me and said, congratulations, we'd like your kidney. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, so obviously you, f- you fly out to UCLA. Mm-hmm. So you're, how did you, what was the preparation? Like, again, I've never given a kidney. Yeah. I don't know if I will, if, you know, I'm not sure. But what is, I mean, you're obviously a week or two. There, There is a chance you could die. Yeah, sure. Yeah. From giving the kidney. There is, although, um, to be clear, it's no riskier than any surgery. Okay. So it's similar to if you delivered a child by cesarean section. The same kind of risks involved. Okay. Um, so I think uh, while, you know, I was definitely scared going in to surgery. And the, it was the first time I'd ever had a real surgery. And um and I was afraid I might not see my kids again. I think in hindsight that was unnecessary. I, it's just their their medicine is pretty good these days. Yeah, and especially UCLA is not a yeah. It's it, not a hack, I mean, I was a hack lucky shop. To be they're, going they're pretty there. good. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're <laughs> they're either the first or second every year. They and UC San Francisco are like first or second highest number of kidney transplants performed in the nation. So, oh wow! So they do a lot of these and. They know how to do them. Interesting. Okay. So you go out there. So tell me about the actually being on site there. 
getting prepped, how to, that process, again, hopefully maybe to help other folks that yeah. are going through a similar situation or about to. Yeah, well, so I, you know, I went out there the first time to have the, all those tests run, and then they, they contacted me and said, you're good, you want to do it. And at that point, I hadn't actually told the recipient that I was going through this process. But the first step for me was to decide, yes, I am going to go through with this, and then to call the recipient and and talk to her. And, you know, I effectively ask her, would you like my kidney? And I, I was pretty sure she'd say yes. But um, uh, so that was late April, I think, when that happened. Um, and then from there, it's a matter of... Um, figuring out dates for surgery, and then there's some additional testing they have to do in the weeks prior, uh, largely just to make sure that they didn't mess up on the cross match and you are indeed compatible with that person. Um, and you aren't, you haven't suddenly developed some new antibodies. Uh, you got a blood transfusion in the last few weeks and now you're no longer compatible. Uh, and you aren't currently sick. You're healthy enough to go through with surgery. So um, I was able to do all that stuff remotely and meet with my physician here to do a physical and um, do some lab work through the Quest Diagnostics Lab uh, prior to the surgery. All that stuff went just fine. Um, and then we flew to LA the day before the transplant. So left Raleigh about 7 in the morning, get into LA by 10 a.m., um, I, uh, the recipient and her husband picked us up at the airport and then we went out to lunch together and I was supposed to not eat solid foods after noon that day. So it was an early hamburger for me. Um, and then starting noon, it's all about drinking clear liquids, broth, jello. I love jello. Jello is so good. Why haven't I, I've not been eating jello in years. Um, but not, not terribly, not a bad thing. Um, and uh should we do a one mic on we, jello maybe we should we just do strictly jello just, yeah you wanted to do one on home brewing but i think maybe, maybe jello would be uh, a better subject but anyways um so that was noon uh on tuesday and the surgery was 1 p.m on wednesday uh so wednesday morning i got up my wife and i went for a walk around the lovely ucla campus and then we had to be at the hospital a little bit before 11 uh filled a bunch of paperwork spent a bunch of time sitting in waiting rooms um, and then they call you back and they go back and um, you have to disrobe and they give you these uh, cloths you're supposed to wipe your body down with, which is, I think, just antibacterial wipe kind of thing. Hmm. And then put, put on your surgical gown and then they come in and set an IV for you um, and uh, get you hooked up to you know, the system that delivers the medicine, anesthesiologist come in and, and speaks uh, speaks with you and uh, just kind of walks through what's going to happen. Um, and then at one point they said, you know, they're going to give you some um, drugs to help just take the edge off the anxiety and then we're going to wheel you back. And um, I don't really, really remember a ton after that. I remember them pushing me through the hall into the operating room. I remember being in there and people were just sort of doing work, but it was mostly empty. And the anesthesiologist came up to me and just started talking to me and telling me that uh, after the procedure starts, after they put me under, they're going to set another IV just in case I would need a blood transfusion. And the next thing I remember, my eyes were closed and I could feel this uh, incision in my belly. And I was like, oh, it's over. Like I, I can feel that, that I've had the surgery. I can feel where um, I'm coming out of the anesthesia right now. Um, and it was amazing. It was like, that was 
it felt like no time had passed. Um, it was super easy. I was in really no pain. Um, and uh, I did pretty well on the anesthesia. Some people have like lots of problems with nausea and whatnot. It's the first time I'd ever had anesthesia and it, it went just fine. So uh, they leave you in that room for an hour or so while you wake up and then they wheel you back into um, the official room where you spend the night. What's on the, uh, and I'm not gonna put you on the spot, you know, I know you're not a doctor, okay. I'm not either, um, but maybe through your research or what you learned out there, what happens with the recipient? Like, yeah, do, do they remove both of her kidneys and no. just put one in? Do they? How does that? I'm, just, kidneys, I'm just curious. She, about how so she works. has polycystic kidney disease, which means she she gets cysts all over her kidneys. Her kidneys are enlarged. Uh, she's rather uncomfortable just having those organs inside of her. Okay. Um, so she would like to get them out, uh, but they don't want to take them out the same time you're receiving your transplant. Partly because it would just make it that much more traumatic of a surgery, but also if for some reason she were to reject the transplant, she still has kidneys that are doing 20% of the work, um, and that can help her while they f figure out what's next. Um, so they, they don't generally take the kidneys out when they do a kidney transplant. And a lot of people actually don't get them out at all. They just they have three kidneys. Um, they take the kidney from me, and they... they they really can just attach it anywhere. They can get two blood vessels in proximity to your bladder to be able to patch it in. So they have they need an artery and a vein, and then um, the tube that goes from your kidney to your bladder is called a ureter, and the ureter is only so long, so they can only be so far away from the bladder. But otherwise, they can kind of put it in any place they can find room. Hmm. And this was done right at the same time. Like, they literally took it out from you and went and put yeah. it in her? she was in surgery at the same time I okay. was in surgery. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's pretty incredible. How, how is she? Have you talked to her the last week or? Oh, yeah. So, like, uh, how is... We spent a lot of time with her while we were out in Los Angeles. Well, say, like, recently. Have you talked with her, like, in the last day or two? Like, is she doing well? Yeah, with so the... I, I texted with her this morning. Okay. And um, uh, she is doing well. Her kidney function is fantastic i think it might be better than mine at this point yeah. um but uh the the numbers that they track for kidney function there's a number called creatinine and um you want it to be between i think it's 0.6 and 1.3 and hers had been at at three before um the transplant uh by the time um, the last number I heard hers was all the way down to 0.89. So it's well within the normal range. Um, now, granted, I keep telling her, you have three kidneys right now, so uh, you're kind of cheating. But um, I think two of them are deadbeats. I'm not sure that they're really helping her out that much. Yeah, wow. Uh, but so, uh, you know, health-wise, she, I think she's recovering from a major surgery, and that just takes time, and there's a lot of pain involved and discomfort. But the kidneys itself is, is doing great for her at this point. What did you learn from this whole situation? What, what do you think? Oh, Have you sat back and reflected on it the last six, seven months? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, 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 you know, I definitely, I told you on the, the prior podcast, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, right? And I think that, that going into these kinds of things, I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, what could go wrong? You know, of course I'll help somebody out and do this. Um, in the, in the weeks prior to the transplant, I was getting really scared. I mean, it was, um, it was probably the most fear I think I can remember having in my life. Just not sure like how it would go and what if something went wrong or what if I couldn't do anesthesia? Uh, what if I didn't wake up? Um, and so it was, it was definitely, uh, 
interesting to just kind of reflect on that fear. Um, and then it's interesting to be on the other side and reflect on how unnecessary that was because the process itself was, it's, it's low risk. Uh, it was not that impactful uh, on me. Um, I got up the next day and left the hospital at 11 in the morning. Uh, I walked all over the Hollywood Hills for two weeks waiting while I was recovering out there. Um, I'm not allowed to lift more than 10 pounds for six weeks, but when that is, um, when that prohibition is lifted, then I'll have just a normal life. Um, and so I think it's easy to kind of blow these things up in your head and it's easy to think that it's, it's scary and that those people who are willing to do that are just tremendously courageous, but it turns out that it's, you look at practically, it's, it's a very possible thing and people can do this. Yeah. Well, it's one of the quotes I've, I've said in this podcast before, but we suffer most often in imagination than in reality. Yeah, I think that's so true. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know, we always have all this worry in our head of like, yeah, what's the worst? Yeah. Gosh, my God. It's, and, and hey, listen, sometimes there, things happen. Sure. Yeah. But the reality is that most of the time we're overthinking it and it's not as bad as, yeah. it, as we, we can make it out to be in our minds. Yeah. Man, this is good. I'm glad you kind of come on here and share this because like <laughs> I said, I, I was just intrigued um, as all get up. And um, like I said, I had some folks, which which is good that, hey, people listen to the podcast and give it feedback or like, hey, you didn't really talk to Doug in the last episode about the, the kidney donor. I said, well, <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. It was, it was like a week or two prior. So uh, I'm glad we're on the other side of it. And, and yeah. I'm glad you were able to sit here and share that story. And uh, and I'm sure, obviously, the, the the donor, I guess you'd call it, right? Is, the recipient. The yeah. reci- recipient, sorry, yep. is uh, is doing well and, and yeah. maybe on uh, in good spirits now. So you helped, uh, helped another human. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I feel it's like a short it, list. It, I, I don't know how many people can say living – like I said, my transplant, I was fortunate to get it, but the, the person I got it for was deceased. Yeah. But the fact that you're living and able to give that, I mean, that's a short list of people that have done that. So it, it feels really good. Yeah. I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm glad and proud I did it. Yeah. So. Well, appreciate it, man. I'm glad you uh, came come on and, uh, and chat a little bit about this. And uh, we'll have you on again. We'll talk All to right, you another great. topic. We'll do Jello or home Jell-O. brewing or something. Yeah, that's so. right. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, again, I hope you guys are enjoying these one-mic sessions where we just kind of jam on a few different topics and uh, maybe go deep on some areas. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Please give me some feedback. Um, sync up with me online, as you know, at Brian Andreco, um, you know, on Twitter or Instagram. Go to my website, brianandreco.com, and hope to connect with you guys soon.